Let's read Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. We finish our reading there, and this is God's word. What's stopping you from being successful and achieving your dreams? Fear of failure, lack of confidence, feeling unworthy, fear of being found out, inability to take action. You need to take risks. Cultivate self-belief, accept your own value, connect with others, and choose action. These are your steps to success. What's stopping you? Uh, well, what was all that about? That was like a parallel universe there for a moment. But today's, question, uh, today's passage is going to ask us a similar question. What's stopping you? Uh, not what's stopping you from being successful, I grant you, but what's stopping you from turning in faith, in trust, and in repentance to God? What's stopping you? Non-Christian, what is stopping you from turning to God? Christian, what's stopping you turning again, turning each day afresh to Him? Jesus spent a lot of time interacting with people who refused to believe in him, uh, refused to believe that he was the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And we saw that in our series just recently in John's Gospel. What's stopping them from believing in him? Well, it's, they think it's lack of evidence, that they haven't seen enough miraculous signs. But that's just silly. Jesus says they'll have one sign in particular, the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so Jesus will be swallowed by the belly of the earth, uh, dead and buried, but will rise on the third day, the sign of Jonah. And Jesus says that the people who believed the message of Jonah are an example of how we should respond to God, how we should believe in Jesus. 
Jesus says it's urgent, it's the most important thing ever to copy them, the people of Nineveh, and turn back to God and to get on with it right now. And so, uh, while this episode in Nineveh happened thousands of years ago, Jesus says it's one of the most important things we can think about. How do we copy the people of Nineveh? So, we're going to find out uh, what they did, and we're going to ask, well, what's stopping us? What's stopping you? Let's get into the passage, and we're going to see first um, something slightly different, which is that God works by His Word. It's good to notice this. God works by His Word. Just look at the start uh, from uh, verse 1 again. Then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you, the Word I, I give you. Jonah obeyed the Word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. That's how chapter 3 starts. It's how chapter 1 started. It's how the prophets, the messengers of God, are commissioned in the Bible. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's a word of command for Jonah himself. Get up and go. Uh, And also a message for Jonah to take. Um, It's the same word at the end of verse 2. Proclaim the message I give you. So if if we try to be very literal, we might say, um, that verse 1 goes something like this, uh, the speech of the Lord came to Jonah, proclaim the message I speak to you, uh, something like that. Uh, God's word commands and commissions Jonah. It makes him a messenger and it gives him a message. Uh, and in verse 6, it's actually the same word again. I think we have news, uh, when the news reached the king. But it's actually the same word, when the word reached the king. So the message of God reaches the king of Assyria in the, in the palace of the capital city, Nineveh. And two things just to notice in passing. Verse, verse 1, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now the first time, of course, Jonah ran off and sailed off in the other direction, away from God. And God had to bring Jonah to the brink of death to give him a second chance. Uh, and thank God... For his second chances. I'm sure many of us are grateful to God for his second chances, if not uh, a lot more than that. Um, Thank God for his second chances. The other thing to notice, verse 3, this time Jonah obeys. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Well, thank goodness for that. Uh, What a relief. We can all relax. Jonah is actually going to Nineveh this time. And we saw last week, this is all part of God's restoration project in the work of, uh, and in the heart of Jonah. Uh, You can't imagine a worse evangelist than Jonah. Someone's supposed to take this message to people, a message of God, but he's reluctant, he's sulky, he's stubborn, he's bigoted, he's a messenger who hopes that his message won't get through, uh, a speaker who hopes no one will listen. But God is determined to change Jonah's heart. Uh, God could act and fulfill his purpose in Nineveh in a million other ways. Without Jonah, he doesn't need Jonah. Those of us who serve in church life or by telling others of Jesus, uh, we need to remember there is more to be done in us than by us. We need God to work in us 
much more than he needs us to work for him because he doesn't. And at the same time, God chooses to work by his word. God always works by his word. And despite Jonah's rebellion against God and his bigotry against Nineveh, God will not save the Ninevites by any other means than his word preached to them by the servant he has chosen. God works by his word and especially by his word preached. I hesitate to ask this, and uh, if you were all sitting in the room and we were going to mingle over coffee afterwards, I'm not sure I would ask this, but what do you think makes a great sermon? Uh, maybe you have to think back a long time to remember one. <clears throat> um, if, if we didn't think about it too much, we might uh, quickly say that a great sermon uh, has to be delivered by someone uh, with, with real character and uh, needs to be full of illustrations to help us to understand uh, it needs uh, to be full of cultural comments so that we see how it's relevant today. It needs to be a message about God's love, and it needs to be short. Um, just a few things. <laughs> well, Jonah preaches a sermon that is only one of those things. Verse 4, on the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Finally, Jonah opens his mouth to preach, and when he does, it's a five-word sermon. Uh, not in English, but in Hebrew, it's just five words. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Jonah's sermon has nothing to do with his character, even though he does have a great story to share. He doesn't seem to be sharing it. Uh, he has no illustrations, no cultural commentary, and it's all about imminent judgment, not love but it is short. In fact, it's so short, it's almost a reluctant sermon, isn't it? Uh, like he arrives in Nineveh, and he looks around, and he doesn't need a three-day visit to realize that these people are just as awful and every bit as proud and violent and wicked as he ever imagined. And so, what's the bare minimum he can do that counts as obeying God? Uh, God has sent him here with a message. What is the minimum that he can put into this. And it still counts where he can say, well, I did, I did what you asked. Um, and yet, as we're about to see, Jonah was one of the most effective gospel preachers of the Old Testament. And he's the one preacher that Jesus compares himself to in the New Testament. So what makes Jonah's preaching great? What makes it so effective? Well, it's God's Word. It's God's Word. God's Word made him a messenger, and God's Word gave him a message. All true preaching comes out of God's Word. Um, plenty of people can give speeches that draw on their, their colorful character or uh, are full of illustration or cultural comments. Politicians can do that. Philosophers can do that. Teachers, a really good teacher can stand up in front of a class and do that sort of thing. But preaching comes from God's Word. That's what made Jonah's preaching great. And that's why each week we open the Bible together. Uh, trust me that you do not want a summary of whatever book I've been reading through the week or a comment on what the newspapers are saying. And you absolutely don't want from me some blessed thought that I think comes from God. No, just, just open the Bible and think about it, 
and we listen to it. Uh, we listen to it speaking into our lives, and then we ask for God's help to respond in the right way, as he would have us. You listen, I hope, with the passage open in front of you. Now, uh, maybe if you're all in the room, there'd be some fistling and searching for pew Bibles or something. I really hope you've got a Bible open in front of you. I preach uh, just the next bit where we left off from last week so that I don't chicken out of the hard bits and so that you don't just get one side of the story. And if we go back and open that same passage later, I guess we're, we're going to learn similar lessons because it's God speaking by his word, not me making things up out of mine. Um, God works by his word. And so Jonah's sermon, Jonah's preaching is great because it, it's God's word. This five-word sermon is from God. So what's God trying to do then? That's our second uh, lesson. God works by his word, okay, but what's he working at? Uh, well, God brings us to repent. God brings us to repent. Uh, let's just remind ourselves uh, of the middle of the chapter. We'll just read from verse 3, because I've been reading this all week, but you haven't. So verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Well, thank goodness for that. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Uh, on the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, uh, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Um, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. God works by his word, and his word to Nineveh was a short and simple warning of coming judgment. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Overturned by what? Invading armies? Internal coup? Natural disaster? It doesn't matter. Overturned ultimately by God. This is a warning of coming judgment from God. And all of the Old Testament prophets, of all of the Old Testament prophets and preachers, Jonah, with his five word sermon about coming judgment, Jonah is the one to whom Jesus compares himself. Christianity is the message of coming judgment judgment that is coming from God and of salvation which has already come from God. If you read the Gospels, if you're paying attention to John's Gospel, you'll find Jesus warning people all the time about coming judgment, but telling them to come to him for salvation. Jonah's five words were enough, enough for the Ninevites to snap into action. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, uh, so, so no more eating. Uh, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on uh, whatever the sackcloth is. I just kind of imagine some sort of Hessian, you know, the sort of Hessian sack that you see hanging on the wall in some artsy coffee shop. Something like that, maybe. I don't know uh, exactly. But 
notice that they believed God. It doesn't matter what they thought of Jonah, this grumpy Hebrew a thousand kilometers from home. They believed God. I don't know if they knew of Jonah's fishy adventure. I like to imagine that Jonah was still struggling to get the smell of fish vomit out of his hair, but uh, it's just me. Uh, They believed God, and they turned from sin and turned to him for mercy. Let's look at their response a little bit more closely, because it is what Jesus tells us to imitate, uh, and it's a great model for us. So who responded, first of all? Who responded? Well, all of them, from the greatest to the least, it says, from the king in his palace to the beggar on the street. This was a universal, national response, the likes of which rarely happen among God's own people. And yet this was surely to challenge them, to challenge the Israelites back at home. These events happened to Jonah for his good. Yes, God is, God is working to restore and, and, uh, and grow his heart. But they were told by Jonah in Israel for others' good. The people of Israel in Jonah's day needed a universal national repentance. Uh, That was exactly what they needed to do, to repent, especially the kings. The king of Nineveh is a great example. The kings of Israel uh, needed to repent. They were leading God's people into false worship and wickedness, getting worse and worse generation after generation. And we too need to repent Turning from sin to God through Jesus is the daily pattern of our Christian lives. It's how we start as Christians. It's how we carry on as Christians. Every time we read the Bible, we should be asking ourselves, what is this telling me to repent of, to turn away from, uh, to reject? Reading the Bible without being ready to be corrected, uh, without being prepared to listen and to tackle what it's going to tell us to change That is reading the Bible with hearts that are already hardened and will only become more so as a result of more exposure. If we won't learn and practice repentance, then we're only learning to resist. Um, What should I repent of? What should I believe as a result of Jonah chapter 3? Christian or not, this is the question we need to ask today. Will we repent What's your answer? Who responded? All of them. When did they respond? Right away. There is no indication that Jonah preached for more than one day, the first day of his visit in Nineveh, even though the city was so big you needed three days to get around. The Ninevites uh, might have been on edge. They might have been ready. They might have been prepared for this message by other circumstances in God's control. Archaeology suggests a major famine in the area around 765 BC uh, with with turmoil and tension during the reign of the king of Assyria at that time. Uh, And also, I learned, uh, really interesting, uh, on the 15th of June, uh, 763 BC, so a little after that famine, uh, there was a total solar eclipse uh, right over Nineveh. There's nothing like the sun going dark to strike fear in people's hearts. Uh, we, we don't know when Jonah went to Nineveh, except that he was a prophet during the reign of a particular king of Israel who, who reigned from 793 to 753. Uh, so that eclipse and the famine were, were in the middle of that time, same sort of time. Uh, but anyway, the, the, 
uh, Ninevites responded right away. When did they respond? Right away. Word reached the king, verse 6, and on hearing it, immediately gets up, takes off his royal robes, covers himself in this sackcloth. I don't know where they kept all this stuff, but he's, he's calling for it. He covers himself in it and sits down in the dust and issues this proclamation calling every single Ninevite to repent and pray urgently. Drop what you're doing and drop to your knees. The king takes urgent, drastic action, and that is right and good. When God speaks to us about our our moral state, he always says, today, today, if you harden your, uh, if you hear his voice, do not harden uh, your hearts. That's Psalm 95. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 3, encourage each other daily so long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. God always calls us to act on this today. Are you a procrastinator? Do you put off doing the hard things knowing that you will have a mad rush at the end. Uh, you know, the, the kind of graph of a, a, a university project or something like that over time. You think, well, I've got, I've got these three months. So if I, just, if I just do a little bit, if I start now and I keep the work up every day, then it'll not get too bad. But what do you do? Well, work just flat lines and then suddenly, oh, we've got to pile it all in at the end. Um, I know some people who put off uh, all work until they've had a cup of coffee, but that's, that's different. That's pro-caffeination. Oh, dear me. Anyway, many of us are spiritual procrastinators. Uh, we know that with time, the voice of our conscience will fade, and the voice of God will grow quiet. Perhaps you know what God is saying to you about some matter in your life, uh, but subconsciously you think, if you just hang on, if you just wait, if you just do nothing for a while, he'll get quieter, it'll be easier. But that fading voice of God is not him giving up and going away. It's you hardening your heart and plugging your ears. Be warned. Nineveh heard and acted right away. God always says today. Act on this today. When did they respond? Right away. How did they respond? Well, they responded in repentance. To repent is just to turn around, to turn away from sin and turn to God. In those ancient cultures, that sackcloth was the clothing of grief and mourning. Um, and ash, uh, ash from the fire was a symbol of our mortality, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So to sit down in sackcloth and ashes is to grieve over our, uh, our sinfulness and to identify with the death that we deserve under God's wrath. It's, it's to admit and to own the judgment of God on our lives. And the king's decree gives a hint of, of what's what. Let everyone call urgently uh, on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. We need to give up all of our evil ways. We need to give up our violence. 
We need to call on God. Nahum chapter 3 gives a little bit more detail of what Nineveh was like, although it was written at a slightly different time. But uh, Nineveh, uh, Nahum says about Nineveh, Woe to the city of blood, uh, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. And it gets a bit more graphic after that, so I'll not read it, but you can at Nahum chapter 3 if you want to find it later. We need to give up our evil ways. We need to give up our violence. We need to call on God. God brings us to repent. What do you need to repent of? Maybe it's not violence specifically. Maybe you're not a Christian at all like these Ninevites. Uh, You need to repent of a whole life lived for yourself or for something, anything that isn't God who made you and gave you your life. You need to hear the message of Jesus. Judgment is coming from God. But salvation has come from God. You need to turn your back on that old life and turn to God through Jesus. And you need to do that today. Today. And look, even if we've been Christians for a long time, for most of our lives perhaps, we will still find God's word exposing layers of sin in us, sin that we need to reject and turn from and repent of and put to death. Um, There's an old story, which I'm uh, shamelessly taking from another preacher, but the story of the hunter and the bear. One day, uh, the hunter was skulking through the the woods with his rifle uh, when he stumbles across this huge bear Uh, And he was raising his gun to shoot when the bear said, whoa, uh, hold on there. Wait a minute. Who are you and what do you want? Um, The hunter was uh, taken aback to find a talking bear. And he said, well, I want a new fur coat. Um, And then feeling a bit impolite uh, not to ask, he went ahead and asked, well, what about you, uh, Mr. Bear? What do you want? And the bear said, well, I want a tasty meal. Well, come, let's, uh, let's build a fire and let's sit down. Let's chat about it for a while. So later on, as the fire died down, the bear got up, stretched, and patted his tummy. He'd had a tasty meal, and the hunter had a new fur coat. <clears throat> there it is. Don't sit down with sin. It will eat you. We do very well to sit down urgently while it is still today and think what work God's Word is doing in us today and especially what we need to repent of and what we need to believe in response to it. God works by His Word and God brings us to repent. But it is good news because, lastly, God loves to have compassion God loves to have compassion. Um, The king says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. God does not have to save. The Ninevites know that. Who knows? God may yet relent. The sailors of chapter 1 knew it as well. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, 
they pray, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. God brought them to the point where they had to throw Jonah overboard. God did that. God is sovereign. God does as he pleases. God does as he sees fit. God does as he deems right. And we're going to see Jonah really struggling with that next week and in chapter 4. God chooses. Not that some people deserve to be saved and others don't. The Bible teaches that is absolutely not true. None of us deserve to be saved. Um, the Ninevites were the worst of the worst. But God is sovereign. He doesn't have to save, but He loves to save. Uh, verse 10, finally, verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. You know, the eyes of the Western world were on a, a court case in the USA uh, this week past. Uh, and the world watched on as, as judge and jury. I don't, don't know if you saw any of it or if you know what I'm talking about. But um, as, we, as we kind of watched that and maybe had opinions about it, we watched as judge and jury. But in the courtroom of God, we are in the dock. Uh, we are the accused and we are guilty, no question. But God brings us to repent, and God loves to have compassion. And God brings out a verdict of innocence. We are absolutely guilty, but by taking, by taking our guilt away and serving sentence on His Son, Jesus, God declares us guiltless and sets us free. We rise up from death row, we walk past the execution chamber, we walk into the sunlight and into a new life given to us and gifted to us to use for His pleasure and our joy in absolute thankfulness to Him. What is the book of Jonah for? Um, God's Word does His work. What, what is the work of God through the, the Word of Jonah? Well, this experience of Jonah's uh, it wasn't just for the benefit of Nineveh, but to benefit his own people, Israel, uh, people caught up in false worship, people refusing to hear God's word, people refusing to repent. But as Jonah realized in the belly of the fish, chapter 2, verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who, those who worship false gods and nothing gods miss out on the love and mercy of God. God's people needed to see that God has compassion, that it is absolutely safe and good to turn back to Him, uh, that He's not waiting to punish. We don't have to run. He's waiting to forgive, and we absolutely should come. Uh, God's people needed these pagans to teach them a lesson in how to repent and what God is like when we do. God loves to have compassion. Is that, what, is that what you need to hear? To learn that God doesn't have to save, but He loves to? That we need to repent and sit in mourning and own the verdict that ought to be ours? 
but then hear the verdict that comes from this God, not guilty, justified, paid, forgiven, free, loved. All of this is ours in Jesus Christ. How can we not see him here? Jonah has his death and resurrection experience in the belly of the fish, vomited up on the third day and sent to the nations to call them to turn to God. Jesus experiences real death and resurrection through the belly of the earth, rising in power on the third day and going to the nations by his spirit and his church to call them to God. Um, we read it a couple of weeks ago. Let me just give you Matthew 12 again, a few verses. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Clipboards out. Uh, Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. We have the words of Jesus to this day and until he comes again. They are there in our Bibles. Uh, waiting for us. We are therefore of the same generation with those first Pharisees and teachers of the law. We can hear the preaching of Jesus calling us to turn to God. And if we do not turn, there is a generation of Ninevites who will condemn us when Jesus comes again. But we can come. And many of us have come to Jesus. We know firsthand that God loves to have compassion. We can see it can observe it in Nineveh. We can see it at the cross of Jesus, but we can know it in our own lives. God loves to have compassion. I used to think uh, that the book of Jonah was about evangelism, about uh, taking the good news of Jesus to the world, uh, you know, that there's a God who loves to have compassion, loves to save. Um, and I was thinking of us as Jonas, and we should we should think like that. This book should give us all the courage that we could ever need to share Jesus with other people. Uh, you know, again, you can't imagine a worse evangelist than Jonah. Reluctant, begrudging, bigoted, this five-word sermon, uh, someone who's entirely the wrong ethnicity. Like, the, this is the, just the wrong face to go and reach these people, um, like, by which I mean, humanly speaking, they were bound to reject his message because just because of who he was. He's also a man with a record of sin and running from God, this kind of um, untrustworthy sort of character. Maybe he's even got the smell of seaweed and fish vomit still in his hair and his beard. You can't imagine a worse evangelist. But God used him to save a city. And that's because, of course, God is the great evangelist who works by his word, who brings us to repent, and who loves to have compassion I mean, really, is there anything stopping us from sharing his word with those around us? Is there anything stopping us from being simple, uh, simple, humble messengers for a God like that? We'll never be as, we'll be as ill-fitting for that work as Jonah. What's stopping us? 
But let's not read Jonah and only think of ourselves uh, and how we are or are not Jonah's. Let's first think of ourselves as Ninevites. Sinful, hard-hearted, rebellious, and absolutely guilty. And yet, God's word has reached us. God's word about Jesus who went to the cross and suffered all God's righteous justice for our sin. Jesus who, who stepped in just before God's wrath poured down on us. He stepped in and wrapped us up in himself to shield us with his body. And having absorbed it all, lifts us to our feet. Alive only in him but forgiven and free forever. God loves to have compassion. Let's come to him now as we pray. Let's stop running. Let's stop hiding. Let's stop suspecting him. Let's hear him. Let's turn to him. Let's run to him and rejoice in him, our God of compassion. Let's pray. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Father, thank you for your wonderful compassion, your infinite love, your surprising, amazing grace. Thank you for your justice and judgment. Thank you for the warning of your gospel. Thank you for the exchange of Jesus. Thank you for certain hope in him. Help us to repent. Expose to us our sin and help us to reject it, to cut it out and turn our backs on it because we love you and we want to live for you because of who you are and all you've done for us in Christ. And we ask for your help in his precious name and for his glory through all that you're doing in us. Amen.